I remember when the mayor of New York City tweeted, people were angry at him for not closing his school sooner. And what he tweeted was, you know, what the majority of the country doesn't know is that the day I close New York City DOE is the day 350,000 kids don't get food. That's the biggest district in the country, but effectively every system we serve has similar dynamics. We knew families were out of work. That paycheck was putting food on the table. That paycheck goes away and it's not months, you know, of cushion. It's weeks or days of cushion. And so we knew that um, food insecurity would skyrocket. We knew that the business was in a huge crisis um, and you know, in the face of adversity comes innovation. And, um, you know, in our case, I'm pleased to say just incredible team spirit and focus on how we would use our capabilities to both feed students and families, sustain our business, sustain our teammates. Um, but yeah, that, that's where the journey began. doing out there folks this is your host with the most kenny vaughn and i'm here with my partner in crime what is up everybody it is sophia i am a talent recruiter here at breakline and welcome back to another episode of the arena we are also joined with our amazing ceo and founder bethany yeah hello people when i see the two of you i know it's going to be a great day (laughs) well the feeling is mutual (laughs) let's have a day The feeling is mutual, and you know what? I'm particularly excited about today because we get to talk about somebody very special who joined us in the arena. Bethany, would you mind just sharing a little bit about Kristen Richmond and the amazing work that she is doing as the CEO, co-founder, and that's a mouthful, CEO, co-founder, chairman of Revolution Foods. She came through and just let the arena on fire with this, Mm -hmm. this conversation. I love Kristen Richmond so much. She has been an inspiration to me for many years. My husband and I have been close friends with Chris and her husband, Steve, for a long, long time, actually since college. And to watch her found this company that's dedicated toward enabling Americans to eat healthy, affordable food, and then to build it into this massive corporation. She said in the podcast, they're on their way to being a billion dollar business. Mm. And um, and I love the way that she and her team are doing it. She said, our values create our value. She's a reminder that we as leaders in, in business can really drive a lot of positive change in our community. And, um, and watching the example that she set really inspired me and I think inspires our whole team as we build Breakline as well. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that insight and I took away so many valuable insights. Before I share, Sophia, I'd love to hear your thoughts and I can maybe bring us home after hearing your reflections. Yes. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, Kristen was so fun to hear from and you can just absolutely see her values coming into her workplace every single day. And it was such a great reminder that Rome was not built overnight. To create this massive impact, it really is you were playing the long-term game, you were building relationships. She was all the while integrating communities into the solutions. I think that folks are going to walk away from this conversation feeling really inspired to, to go create some valuable change out there. So Kenny, what were some of the takeaways you had? Well, what I loved about this conversation is, I think especially over the past few weeks, we've got a chance to really hear from leaders 
who are having to navigate crises real time. Mm -hmm. And the scope and the scale in which Kristen and her team are doing at Red Foods was just mind blowing. Um, as you think about the impact that the pandemic has had on our local communities, on the school system, and, and really just the importance that school meals have, especially in underserved communities, it was amazing to hear the work that, that they were doing. I mean, serving over 2 million meals per week across 500 cities, 24 states, mm -hmm. and to realize that at the end of the day, individuals still have to figure out how to navigate ambiguity, how to provide this invaluable resource to these communities that are depending on their services, and to see just her leadership in action in this crucible moment and the way that they've navigated it and become a stronger organization because of it. <sighs> Talk about inspiration. I mean, I could, yes. I'm probably gonna listen to this conversation about three, four more times, just to be honest with you, because every time I listen to her speak, it's like, man, there's another nugget that's pulled mm -hmm. out. So Absolutely. I'm just glad to share this conversation with our audience. I think it is such a timely conversation. And the last piece that I want to add is this past Sunday, we all collectively just celebrated Mother's Day. It is awesome just to see the leadership, not only of our CEO and founder, Bethany Coates, but also that Kristen has in finding that work-life work integration, instilling that in the organizations that they lead, um, and being able to draw those boundaries where it says, hey, she said, I'm gonna make time for dinner every night. That's just what our family does. And to see that you don't have to sacrifice your family for tremendous success, oh man, I, I took that note and, and I'm gonna run with it in my personal life as well. So. Super excited. I don't know about you folks, but I think it might be that time. What y'all think? Is it time to dive in? I think, I it's, think that time. it's time. Let's do it. Let's dive into another wonderful episode of the Breakline Arena. Y'all, this is going to be so fun. I absolutely love Kristen Richmond. We have known each other forever. Our husbands went to college together and um, we and our families have been really close friends for a long time. So as her friend watching her build this incredible company um, that is well on track to becoming a $1, a $1 billion company, it's just a massive home run, has been hugely inspiring. And she was, um, she was someone who actually inspired me to start Breakline. So, Chris, welcome. We love having you here. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Bethany and, and Casey. It's a real privilege to be here and I love joining Breakline. So I so appreciate that, uh, that intro and glad to be here. So Chris, everyone here, they've, they have read your bio. So they have a sense of, of your journey up through founding Rev Foods, but I'd love for you to just kind of put Rev Foods in a nutshell for us. And then I want to dive right into the kind of circumstances that happened about a year ago. Um, but first, I want them to just sort of hear from you. What, what are you all up to at Rev Foods? So we, um, as, as many of you may know, um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of the company and we started Revolution Foods. I still work my, with my co-founder after 15 years. That's a whole line of conversation. Um, another, a, another badass woman and mom and partner and businesswoman. Um, but we uh, started it 15 years ago to 
effectively create access to super high quality food, um, specifically meals for um, children across the country. And we started in schools um, focused on big, uh, mostly big urban inner city schools um, where our students that, that we serve um, Lots of them rely on school meals as a primary source of nutrition. So we were very, very focused on uh, nutrition as a lever to set kids up for success, um, both academically um, and in their health profile and outcomes, and just generally kind of getting on a path to pursue their dreams in a healthy way. Um, so that's been our heart and soul for 15 years. And, you know, Bethany, prior to COVID, we were designing, producing, and distributing about 2 million meals per week um, across 500 cities in 24 states. Uh, so that, that was about 3,000 sites that we were serving between public schools, um, big districts, charter schools, um, after school programs, parks and rec programs, city programs. So, you know, it's been a, uh, a very, um, both, both a big impact um, journey, but also heavy operations and logistics. And uh, many of you that have come from fields like that know it's, it's a multifaceted company building endeavor. So that's, uh, you know, just a little bit about us. Oh, I, I'm very proud to say we're about 1,500 people um, and teammates. We are, um, I told Bethany, we are 87% BIPOC and 66% female. Um, so <laughs> got my little lab in the background there. Um, so we've got an incredibly diverse team and, um, you know, we, we hire from the communities we serve and that's how we've built the company and grown the company and, and hopefully are, are en route, as Bethany said, to a billion dollars someday soon. I mean, when we think about the scale of this, two million meals a week, you know, to kids who typically come from homes where there's a lot of food insecurity, it's just like feeding, feeding our children healthy food is just at the foundation of enabling them to live healthy and productive lives. And so I just hats off to you, Chris, and your whole team. It's amazing. Um, so here we are, we get to this moment, March, 2020, and all of a sudden we face this crazy global pandemic and we're just starting to get our arms around how difficult this is going to be. Huge numbers of stay at home orders that affect these kids that are going to these public school districts and relying on them as their sources of food and they're told to stay home. And that is also Revolution Foods core business. So can you talk to us about that moment? What was that like for you and your team when you were like full steam ahead, 2 million meals a week, and then everything pulls up short and all the doors close? Yeah, I mean, it, it was almost too, um, it, it was almost too, too crazy to describe. I mean, it was a true um, existential crisis for the company, um, you know, on two, on two levels. So number one, um, the company's core business shuttered. So we just simply had no business overnight. Um, and number two, we knew because we are like inextricably linked to the communities we serve through our team and our work day in and day out, 
we knew that food insecurity was going to skyrocket um, at the beginning of COVID. So we knew that, I don't know if some of you remember, I think I'm pretty, no, I know it was the mayor of New York City because of the numbers. I remember when the mayor of New York City tweeted, um, people were kind of, they were angry at him for not closing his school sooner. And what he tweeted was, you know, what the majority of the country doesn't know is that the day I, clo I close New York City DOE is the day 350,000 kids don't get food um, that day. And it was just this really bring it home moment of, wow, school is about school and school is about food and survival and care um, for so many children in our country. Um, and so we knew that that was just, that's the biggest district in the country, but effectively every system we serve has similar dynamics. Um, and we knew families were out of work um, who weren't able to go to work. And there were a lot of families who were, you know, you all know this, who are sort of living right on the edge. And so maybe they were making that rent, they were making that, you know, that paycheck was putting food on the table, that paycheck goes away. And it's not months, you know, of cushion, it's weeks or days of cushion. And so we knew that um, food insecurity would skyrocket. We knew that the business was in a huge crisis. Um, and, you know, in the face of adversity comes innovation. And, um, you know, in our case, I'm, I'm pleased to say just incredible team spirit and focus on how we would use our capabilities to both feed students and families, um, sustain our business, sustain our teammates. Um, but yeah, that, that's where the journey began, Bethany. And I could, I could say a lot more, but hopefully that's helpful in the moment. So that, that's, a help, that's a helpful kind of overview. And I want to double click into it because the story of, of how you all solve this existential crisis, I think is so powerful. And it involves champions like Steph and Aisha Curry, who came to the table to help fund um, other social entrepreneurs, Jose Andreas, who runs World Central Kitchen, and then really interesting, innovative partnerships with big cities like New York and San Jose, New Orleans, Austin. Can you talk to us about, so all of a sudden, the scope of your focus, it had been feeding kids primarily. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not just these kids who are now food insecure, it's also their whole family unit. And, um, and Chris, when we were talking about this, you said that, um, I think you said that um, sort of our public policy leaders know that a really powerful um, metric for impending social unrest is when people miss three consecutive meals. Is that right? That's exactly right. So I heard both from um, public health and public policy and political leaders, as well as national National Guards men and women. Like that is a very um, just key kind of metric and, and statistic for um, that moment when, you know, it not only becomes a crisis of individual and family wellness, but also of community um, and social social unrest. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, it's it's no longer an individual crisis that's coming at us. It's it's a it's a crisis of social cohesion. And um, and so, you and your team realize that this is coming down the pike, and that the opportunity and the challenge has just become you know five times bigger than what you were looking at two weeks earlier. 
And again, you start reaching out in these really cool ways to different individuals and organizations and, um, mm -hmm. and municipalities and other types of um, partners. Can you talk to us about that? What, what were some of the steps that you all took and who came to the table in, in, a, in a way to champion mm -hmm. the work that you're doing? Yeah, that it's such a good question, Bethany. And I, you know, for, I guess, 15 years, I've been talking about running mission-driven companies. We were one of the first, uh, B, if you guys know B Corps, Benefit Corps, we were one of the first B Corps in uh, the U.S. And, and likely globally. I think we were like one of the first 20. So part of our mission has been um, building a company that is grounded in a, a mission of social change. And one of the things that happened when COVID struck is, you know, we, I will say, I will tell you like the focus of the team was as much on the need in the community as it was on their own paycheck, right? A lot of it was, we have to get out there and serve. And it really doesn't matter how, like we are going to figure it out. And that wasn't just management employees and board members and executives, that was every single person in every single culinary and every single truck in every single dishwashing station around the country. Um, so I can remember, you know, my head of distribution in, in New Jersey saying like, you know, we have to come to work because if we don't come to work, our families don't eat. And right now that is, you know, the most important thing. Um, and so in terms of, of the team rallied, like you couldn't believe, um, the, sh the stakeholders in the community. So we immediately called on, you know, every, I, the best way I can describe it is every person in a community who makes decisions about how to feed people in that community. So it could be a parent, it could be, a superintendent, it could be a county supervisor, it could be a governor, um, it could be, you know, a local foundation. Um, we called on everyone in the communities we serve um, and we said, and Jose Andres was one of those um, who I actually met through one of my investors, Steve Case, um, you know, and, and we said, we're here to serve. We have the capability to design, produce, and deliver millions of meals that can impact on a daily basis 65% of the US population. So let's get this engine cranking. We can do it more affordably and at higher scale and we can ramp up faster than almost anyone else in the country. And again, there, there are, I don't wanna be, uh, you know, there are CPG companies like Campbell's, et cetera, that can crank out tons of, you know, cans of soup. We're a different company. We make fresh prepared meals. So we were working on breakfast, lunch, snack, supper, shelf stable for families who didn't have, you know, reliable housing and reliable ovenings and microwaves and that sort of thing. Um, frozen meals, fresh meals, all pantry boxes, right? So I can't tell you how many pantry boxes we distributed with fresh grains and fresh produce. Um, we effectively got out to the whole stakeholder group and said, Rev Foods is ready to serve. We can serve kids, we can serve parents, we can serve seniors, we can serve homebound people who can't leave their house because they're seniors or they have COVID um, or they're at high exposure for um, staying homebound because of COVID um, or high vulnerability, excuse me. So through that outreach, it's just amazing how quickly, um, you know, soon thereafter we were producing, I think we produced about 11 million meals for Jose Andres and, you know, daily we're distributing them into the Bronx 
Bronx, Harlem, Queens, Brooklyn, New Orleans, San Jose, um, West Virginia, Detroit, Columbus, Charleston, um, all over the country. And then, um, you know, really innovative partnerships started forming. So from that partnership with Jose Andres, we then created a partnership with a group of restaurants in New Orleans. They wanted to get people back to work. We wanted to get keep our people at work and serve healthy food. So restaurants would create meals, send them to Revolution Foods. We would package those meals in a food safe way, um, add in our product. We would then distribute to, you know, whether it was a, a local sports stadium or a local church or a local community center. And then there was a, a distribution, a local distribution company called Delivery, kind of like a local DoorDash, who would then take those meals door to door and serve communities um, and, and serve each family. So partnerships like that, Boston Public Schools, I can remember working with Marty Walsh, the mayor at the time and putting together, you know, a, we would utilize the Boston school buses to take tens of thousands of meals to the Boston Public School school buses. Those school buses would go out and deliver door to door through Boston. Um, so all kinds of amazingly innovative, creative local partnerships. Um, you know, I truly believe like the heroes of that COVID time were the local leaders across this country, um, you know, who just work day and night to, to figure out how to care for their community at a time of crisis. So that was that was a moment of profound crisis, and and you figured out a way to not just face it but thrive through it. Um, but there have been so many moments as you've built Rev Foods where I'm just reminded that you your perspective seems to be whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get this done. That's how we're going to move through this. And I'm remembering, I think it was when you all expanded to DC. Yes. Kristen had a newborn. Kristen is a mom of two boys. I believe this was when your youngest was a newborn. The yep. whole family packed up because the, 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 the expansion to DC was just way more complicated than yeah. they expected. And her husband was wearing a tool belt and like driving the bus and everything. And it was like, it was becoming a total family yeah endeavor. Um, but it was, a, it was an example of how you are just all in on yeah. building this, this social venture, no matter what the challenges or the circumstance. Can you talk about that mentality? Cause it's different than <laughs> when you're just kind of, you know, on like coasting when, when you have yeah. to really be all in and, and that's who I mean, you are. I mean, it's really funny. Cause I just, it, it just, I, I hope I hope some of you on this Zoom are thinking about um, starting your own companies. You probably already have. You probably have are, are doing that already. But it, it you got it's just such a journey, right? You never know what's coming around the corner, and there are so many positive moments and so many tough days. Um, but it it is a do whatever it takes uh, mentality, and especially when um, you're trying to solve like a big social problem. <laughs> You're trying to get out there and, and do something in a way that that folks haven't done before. I mean, back to one of our, our big school districts that we worked with, um, I can remember, you know, saying, okay, we've got clean label, healthy, affordable food, you know, here's all the, here are all the products we can serve. Here's the quality of the products. Here's the, the pricing is within your budget. And they're just like, I, we can't, we've never ever served fresh food in the history of the day. Like how, well, someone, um, 
originally was cooking all that food in the district, but you know, in the last 40 years, um, no one's no one's done that. Um, how do we do that? And so it wasn't about just creating the product. It was about creating the infrastructure in the school system. It was about creating you know a shelf a shelf life profile that would work. It was about creating the distribution methods. It was about training everyone on site to know how to handle you know, the food and address the questions and um, deal with the waste, whatever it might be. So I'm, I'm being a little long-winded, Bethany, but I think that the idea is like, it is, a, it is a whatever it takes attitude. However, what I will say is that, you know, great leadership is all about a team. And, you know, it took me longer than I would have liked, right? Like you, you think about when you're a young entrepreneur, you know, we tend to hire people that look like us and have the same skills that we have or kind of all hands, you know, athletes and generalists. And you realize pretty quickly that, you know, it's actually the diversity of the team um, and the diverse skill sets and expertise um, sets that create a scalable team, right? And so now I look, you know, I, for a long time, I've looked for people that are way better than, than I am in, the, in their areas of expertise. And I'm here to coach and guide and support um, and share pattern recognition. Um, but I'm, I, I learn from them every day. So some, about, some of that scale and whatever it takes um, is also about learning how to build the right team um, to fulfill a mission. And in my case, Rev Foods, and it's been like standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say. Um, so that's how, how I think about it. That's so, that's so you to, to really, you know, make sure that you're reflecting credit where credit is due. And I love that about you. And the start of your team was your co-founding relationship with your co-founder, Kirsten Toby. And I think it's remarkable. You, you all started this company 15 years ago, and there's so many Silicon Valley stories of co-founder relationships just exploding you know, with hatred and vitriol. And you two continue to be really close and very supportive of each other. And you've carved out different roles at the company that you're both really comfortable with. But it's been a very productive, very supportive relationship that's, that's endured, you know, over time and, and through multiple really, really hard crises and sort of like urgent challenges. Can you talk to us about why has this relationship worked so well? Like, what are some of those key success lessons that, that you would take from it and recommend to other people if they were thinking about starting a company with a co-founder? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think for Kier, uh, I can't believe, you can't believe her name's Kirsten and my name's Kristen. Isn't that unreal? Um, what are the odds of that? But uh, for Kier and I, I think it's been about kind of back to that last theme of recognizing each other's superpower areas and our weak and you know kind of blind spot areas, um, and and actually leaning into what we're good at and not trying to replicate each other's strengths. Um, so we don't really step on each other's toes much because I recognize that she is like. <laughs> you know, eons better at what, what she does well than, than what I could do in those areas. Um, and that's really important. I think, I think at the end of the day, it is like a marriage. I mean, it's in the sense that um, the value, like our value system is aligned. So if there's like a really hard decision around ethics and values, I don't think we've ever had an argument about it in 15 years. 
so aligned values, but totally different skill sets. And by the way, I'm all for founders and co-founders having, you know, heated, respectful debates um, in front of the team. I think it's really healthy. I think it opens up the floor for people to see like, oh my God, Chris and Kier definitely don't agree on everything, but they are respectful to each other. They listen um, and, you know, they, they talk it out and it can get tough and heated and they listen and they may have to come back, but they solve through it. And I think that creates permission for the rest of the team um, to speak honestly and to hold space for tough conversations, which again is another, another thing after 15 years, like you just can't get very far until you can hold space for tough conversations um, until people are really telling you what they think. So um, Kier's just been a great partner in that. Um, I would say the other last thing is we're both moms and I've had two boys and she's had three girls and you know five kids within the first 10 years of building this company. Um, and you know when I was out for my too short maternity leave. <laughs> she was coming to my house every every week and like sitting there, you know, while I was breastfeeding and giving me the update on the week and telling me what happened and telling me what I need to focus on, but like also taking a lot of the weight on her shoulders. I did the exact same thing when she had her babies and, you know, just having each other to count on. Um, and I think it, last but not least, like we know it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you know, we work really hard, but there's also been times like I do take all my vacation with my family and I try to plug out and, you know, Kier's an amazing athlete and is trained for marathons and Ironman and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, you train, you do what you need to do. Um, so giving each other the permission um, not to wait for dreams, but to actually live our dreams um, and, and not penalize each other for that and set that tone for our team. And I think, I mean, those are some of the reasons I think we're still still kicking it and uh and really close <laughs> um yeah i i just freaking love it and chris <laughs> i mean i i mentioned at the outset that this is a um this is a social venture you all establish it as a b corp and sometimes people can misunderstand the power of a benefit corporation and how big these companies can get. And the fact that you can have a very successful thriving business while also being really focused on social impact. What can you tell us about the size of Rev Foods today and you know where you all are in that journey? Yeah, it's, um, Bethany, it's so interesting you bring that up because yesterday I was working on actually quantifying, um, you know, what does it mean as a, as a benefit corporation, as a purpose-driven benefit corporation, how does it drive our financial success, which I feel like is the next level of, of conversation. Like we know that consumers care more about purpose-driven businesses. We know that, you know, great talent who cares about a certain mission comes to a business, but we're actually working on really filtering that through our, our, I call it our values create our value, literally. Um, so I, I do think um, different different line, but but something we're working on. The company is now about a two hundred million dollar company, um, and we are growing very quickly. Uh, you know, pleased to say that after uh, as we sort of come out of COVID um, into this next phase. I, um, you know, one of the things that we've been forced to do that actually will benefit us greatly is to develop this multi-channel strategy that we were talking about with regards to moving from only serving, you know, um, kids in schools to 
families and adults and seniors. And we actually had a conversation with a very large grocer today, um, which is very exciting about getting a new grocery line um, into their store for families and kids. Um, so it's, uh, you know, the innovation in this time has helped us and will help us grow faster and I think more successfully. Um, that's awesome, Chris, thank you. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is that entrepreneurship and company building is also an exercise in asking for help. Like yeah. I'm just asking for help all day long. I'm yeah. like shameless at yeah. this point. There's favors yeah. all over the place. And of course I'm happy to give favors too and help as much as I can. Yeah. But um, it was hard for me to learn that lesson because I'm naturally shy and introverted. And so I really hated asking for help. And now I've just kind of come full circle and I just don't care. Like it just has to happen. Yeah. Um, will you talk to us? Like, have you had that experience too that you know it is really about extending yourself and putting yourself out there on behalf of your company and your organization? Um, and maybe is there, is there a story about someone who really showed up at a moment when you needed him or her and made a big difference? Yeah, I think, I think you have a very good point. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll almost bring it back to, I think all entrepreneurs need that. I think when you are building a social venture, that's doing something different, um, than what's been done. And there's just not a clear path that's been charted. Um, you can't look at five other companies. I mean, you know how investors love to look at like five comparable companies and be like, well, here's exactly how, you know, XYZ company did it. And it's like, when you're building something that doesn't have that clear path, it becomes that much more important that you just reach out for um, experts in, in the areas where you do need help. I had a, a girlfriend say to me recently, who's another CEO, she said, the most important thing I learned in my education um, was not to be afraid to ask stupid questions. And of course, they're not stupid is the point, like, meaning, meaning if, it's, if it's a question that you have, it's a valid question. And so being able to be bold enough um, to just ask questions um, and seek help um, and humble enough, right? Because I think either one of two things happened. Bethany, you're saying you're shy and introverted. There's the flip side of the spectrum, which is just people who are like, I know all the answers. Um, so either way, you're not asking the questions. And uh, I think it's it is an exercise in humility, but it's also an exercise in, in connectivity and learning that there are different patterns um, that, that leaders have seen um, that are tremendously helpful. So I'm personally part of a, a network you guys may have heard of called YPO. Um, the reason I joined that network, uh, one is because there were four women out of 90 CEOs and I'm like, that's not acceptable. But secondly, um, when I joined, now, there's, now there are many, many more women in that group. But um, secondly, is just the ability to be in a confidential forum with seven other CEOs, in my case, who've built not just one company, but several companies, you know, private companies, public companies, managed funds, all these things, like the amount I can, I have learned from that group has been a, I would say, you know, one of the foundational pieces of um, continuing to lead today at Rev Foods. Chris, thank you so much. Um, so I, you and I both love to talk about this and I'm always kind of struck when, when, parents don't want to talk about their private life because it is such a big part of 
what we're managing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think it's really important to just come right out with it and just how do you how do you keep the wheels on the bus? So Chris is married to this fabulous guy, Steve, um, and they have two young boys and they're, and Steve is also um, an entrepreneur and working at a, at a like a high growth um, early stage company. Chris, how do you two pull this off? Because your boys are also just thriving and such cool kids and doing so well. Oh, you're very, you're very kind. Um, it does not always feel like we are thriving every day. Um, oftentimes it feels like crazy town over here. Um, but I, I will say, um, you know, I think I think it takes a village. Um, I think that in the same way that you mentioned calling on, um, you know, at calling on folks who are advisors and can help you to learn things that you might not have learned or see things that you might not have seen. You know, I would say for us, calling on a village around us has been absolutely key. I mean, Steve and I are both entrepreneurs, and um, as Bethany said, he has just been a life support for me, right? In terms of being there at every single turn. Um, we are very, uh, how do I say this? We believe in a balance between the two of us. So there was a time when, you know, I was making zero dollars and he was supporting me um, when I was in, in school and learning and when I, I did a different job in Kenya. Um, then there was a time when I was the breadwinner for the family and, you know, helping us thrive and survive and he took a back seat. And, you know, if you look at our journey, it's just been kind of, it's kind of like here, my partner and I just kind of back and forth in terms of balancing um, and stepping up when it's needed. Um, you know, and I've had certain parameters for myself and we've had certain parameters for ourselves. So I never, even in the, the height of crazy travel, I was like, I'm only going to be on the road, you know, five, five nights a month. That's still a lot. Um, but you know, I, I get up very early in the morning. I start at 5.00 AM, um, which actually is great because I have a big East coast team, but you know, when, when 6.30 rolls around, I close the computer and I focus on my family dinner. And then I'm exhausted after that. <laughs> but the point being that, uh, you know, we've been very clear about like prioritizing family dinners, um, prioritizing of uh, taking vacation time, not just like saying, oh, I'm going on vacation and then being on email the whole time, but like taking those that time together. Um, so we've had a, the same amazing um, babysitter and nanny since the day the boys were born. And she's like a second mom to me. Um, we always laugh that we're like the two hardest working women in America. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's been just the joy of my life to work with Gloria. And so I don't know, we figure it out, right? And there, there are plenty of tears and, uh, and stressful times in between. But overall, I always say I'm really happy and I'm really tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that you, that you said to me a long time ago, it was when we were in Napa and I think Caleb was a baby. And you said, I'm exhausted, but I'm, I choose this state. I'm living my life fully, you know? And, yeah. and I just think, and I was just sharing that with, um, with the, with our team at Breakline and saying like, that helps me also just reconnect with the fact that when I'm at those moments of exhaustion or the tears are coming or whatever, it, I'm choosing this. I'm not prioritizing, um, I don't prioritize balance in my life. I'm prioritizing achieving this goal and that's worth yeah. it to me. And, and re kind of recommitting to that understanding I think is really important. 
I think it is. And I mean, the other, um, the other piece of that is, is since you mentioned Steve, my husband, that's been so great for me is we also call each other on our BS. So if there's ever a time when I'm, you know, complaining about the company or he's like, you started this thing, fix it. Like if you, yeah. if you have a problem or if you're, you know, if you're complaining, like you're the CEO, fix it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it just, it just is very, um, it, it's a very honest playing field. <laughs> There's not a lot of room to play the victim, um, which uh, no matter how accountable we all are, it, it happens. I know it happens to me. Um, but uh, yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting, Bethany, like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, 15 years in starting to really think about that journey of leadership. So now for me, um, and COVID six months aside, because that was truly pivoting in crisis, um, you know, now I'm able to, now that I kind of understand where my team needs to be at this scale, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really consciously trying to step back and listen and guide, but not make a ton of decisions every day. Um, and I had a great mentor. Um, I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He's a pretty well-known guy, but Reed Hastings said to me, um, he, I, I had breakfast with him and he said to me, he was listening to me going on about, you know, whatever I was going on about. And he said, Chris, how many decisions do you make a year? And I said, I don't know, like hundreds. <laughs> and he said, ask me how many decisions I make. And I said, okay, Reed, how many decisions do you make? And he's like, you know, and I was like, how is that possible? And I've all, and I, I mean, he, look, he may have been under exaggerating, but I will say like, I think that there's something to that lesson. It's always stuck with me, which is like when you have the right team in place and you're stewarding and guiding. And again, that doesn't happen day one. Like it takes time. Um, it takes time. It takes resources. It takes learning. It takes failure, all those things. But it is interesting to kind of chart the course as a leader of how many decisions you're making versus how you're empowering, guiding, coaching, you know, and, and letting other people call the shots with your, with your guidance. Um, mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot as I sort of, you know, continue on this journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Chris, one of the, one of the themes of those couple of stories is that you have people around you and you've cultivated people around you who will tell you the truth you know, and give you that honest feedback. And um, right. <laughs> one of the, like one of the best and most painful pieces of feedback I got from a mentor, she, she just asked a question. She said, why are you allowing yourself to be treated this way? And I said, God, you're right. <laughs> what is my problem? I need to get out of this. But we have to have folks around us like that who will give us the straight scoop. And it's harder than you think to give people permission and make sure they have permission to engage in that way. Yeah. Um, I want to turn it over to questions from um, the folks who are here today. And there's one from Al that I really love, which is based on what you've learned from working with and serving educators and students, what important lessons on humanity could you share with us that can be applied in our professional pursuits as business leaders? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I, I think one of the things that just, um, it just amazes me at how simple it is, but how profound it is, is when we started Revolution Foods, we, we looked at our um, consumer base of, of kids and, and families and teachers and schools. And 
it was clear that there was not one company in the United States that was designing meals for our school community. Like there was just no respect in the design. There was no, I mean, you guys think about like the sort of like the far end of the spectrum would be IDEO. You know, they've pioneered sort of consumer-based design, just relentless consumer-based design, right? Um, th this was <laughs> the, the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. And it was a story of people sort of um, getting served the lowest common denominator, right? It's just like, let's just, you know, again, I, I'm not here to like demonize you know, big food companies, but I, I think it was, it was like, how can we make the most margin off the least nutritious product that we can possibly serve that checks the box? Like how many ways can you fortify a Pop-Tart? Ah, like 30 ways. Um, if you inject it with this and inject it with that and inject it with this. But like, when you look at like, was anyone designing for the communities we served? No. Um, and so there's this just general like respect and dignity and, and talk about humility. Like we, you know, so much of the stuff we launched in the beginning was just like abject failures. I mean, it was just terrible. Like our kids were like, what is this? This is terrible. We're like, well, we tried to create, you know, brown rice and make it Spanish rice and listen to your feedback. They're like, this is awful. And so we, we actually learned completely to listen to our consumer and to, you know, the, the administrators at the schools, um, and, and, and glorify that, right? Like lean into that, learn from that. So there's this element of a two-way street where you are a servant leader and you are listening and learning and your product success is entirely based on that. Um, and I think that's something that as I look at ed tech and I look at, you know, food in schools and I look at uh, the way the education market's been ser being served now, there's more of that happening. I'm not sure it's completely widespread, um, but it's a trend that I'm really proud of being, being on the front end of. It's awesome. Okay, we have a question from Javeria, which I love because I know that you've you've um, dealt with this many, many times. She, she says, you mentioned Rev Foods has its footprint in dozens of states, and I'm assuming that's just the start. Do you find pushback, you know, regions that feel that their programs are more beneficial or um, that want Rev Foods to alter its approach to fit a certain box? And I'm thinking about all the pushback you've gotten from like, <laughs> The ladies serving the lunch in yeah. these schools, all the yeah. way up to like school districts and kind of yeah. corrupt people really trying to, to stick with Cisco or whoever, you know, as, yeah. as a food provider. I would love for you to, to address this question. So we're, so, so generally it's a, there's a little bit of a self-selection thing going on, kind of back to my investor theme of like the people who you're not going to be a fit with. And in my case, just didn't invest and, and it was like a good thing. <laughs> um, there's a little bit of that going on when you're kind of a systems, um, when, you're, when you're a system changer, as you guys know, innovation, like you get, you really do attract what, you know, early adopters, right? So a lot of the principals and superintendents and, and parent groups we work with are, um, they want change. So that's positive, right? Like they're saying, we want change. Like what's happening with our students is not, serving them respectfully. So we want a different solution. We want a healthy solution. We want a, um, you know, but <laughs> uh, then you get inside the systems where, you know, back to that district I said it had never served fresh food. You know, there's a 
whole layer of, of good people, but people who've been doing their job for years and years and years and years in exactly the same way. And like, this is a royal pain in the butt to rethink the way they do their job and their daily routine and accounting for waste and, you know, systems changes and ordering deadlines and all kinds of things that are just a pain in the butt. Um, the outcome is good. The outcome for kids is good. Um, but battling that sort of internal bureaucracy is, is it can be really tough. And then the other side of this is, is just the humility when you, when you screw up, like we've had, you know, um, we've had examples where we just haven't launched with the right menu. So I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Like our first set of menus in Texas was just, it didn't, it didn't hit the mark. Like it wasn't true to like the cultural relevance of the community of families we were serving in Houston. Um, and so we lost a lot of ground and credibility and we had to come back and, you know, design again and make sure, you know, we were not just hitting the mark on healthy, but we were hitting the mark on delicious um, and what we call, what we call kid inspired chef crafted. Um, so some of it's our own doing when we hit those barriers back to the accountability theme, like what are we doing to cause that? Not what's being done to us, but what are we doing? Um, and then some of it's just like the hard brass tax reality of systems change and the fact that you're moving someone's cheese and it's not easy to move someone's cheese. Like they, they've had their cheese in the same place for a long time. So, um, but I believe, and you guys are kind of seeing me, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm an optimist at heart, I admit. Um, and I believe that if you take the time to explain the why behind something and you take the time to listen, nine times out of 10, you're going to be successful in helping convert that person um, if they feel heard and respected. That's just my experience in life. It's so true. You're such an optimist and you're also so patient and you're so nice. I mean, there's so many times when I'm ready to like get the boxing gloves on for you and you're just kind of like sticking with it and unflappable and very, very kind in pursuit. But also, um, you will not be deterred, you know, yeah. you will I'm not, not always, I, I would say, you know what I call myself, Bethany, this is what I told my team is like, we're going to practice straight talk with optimism. Mm. And I think there's an element of like straight talk, meaning we're going to, we're going to tell you how it is. Like, we're really going to be honest. Like when we hit COVID there was like, look, we, our company is in crisis. Like, I don't know as CEO, if I can make payroll in a month, I, I'm just being honest. And here's what we're going to do to solve that problem together. So I'm not going to give you rose colored, you know, bullshit. Like I'm just not, it's not worth it. I, I lose my credibility when you know that I'm BSing you um, as a CEO and we're not, you're not going to be motivated by a leader who's not honest with you. So I think, but within that, there's so much to be hopeful for. And we hold the solution. We can do this. We can absolutely do this. So hope and optimism, nothing great ever happened without hope and optimism, right? But you have to talk straight to people. And, and again, honestly, as like a young entrepreneur um, and maybe a woman, I don't know, I'm going to go out there and say it. I don't know. But like, you know, I was a total pleaser and I wanted to do everything right. And I wanted to be a perfectionist and I wanted to make everyone happy. And you know, you learn after a while, like you can't please everyone all the time, but what you can be is direct and explain the why and, you know, have a lot of reason for hope and optimism. And that's, you know, that's sort of how we operate at Rev Foods. And the other thing we do is we, we practice control what we can control because I always say there's so much out there that you can't control. 
And there's so many ways to spin your mind and your attention, right? And just spin and spin. So focus on the things that you can impact and you can control and do them well. And the rest will take care of itself, right? So that's the other thing as a team that we think a lot about is like control what we can control, but know what we can't control mm -hmm. um, so that we really are effective and impactful with our time. And we're not mm -hmm. gonna win everything, but we're gonna influence the ones we can win. Mm -hmm. On that last point, um, my classmate, my business school classmate is the CEO of a, another food company called Proper Food. And she says, do what you say you're going to do and you yeah. will be in the top 1%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. There's a question from Casey, which I really love. And this is such a, a strength of you and your team. Um, Casey's asking, how do you achieve economies of scale while still providing a deeply tailored and high quality product and controlling your costs? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really good question, Casey. So I think, um, a lot of focus for us has been, uh, so I'll break it down into three categories. One is um, uh, prioritization. So we focused on the things that we thought would most move the needle towards our mission and business. So for us, that was about offering a fresh, clean label, well-crafted product for the kids and families that we served. We were not profitable out of the gate. There's no way we could have been with that model and the reimbursement rates were under. We knew that we had to reach a certain scale to get there. So we raised the money and set the timeline to reach that scale so that we would have the purchasing power to, to have the right margin structure. Um, so just knowing like, this is what it's gonna take. We're gonna have to raise capital. We're gonna have to be honest about the timeline. Um, we're gonna have to scale to a certain percent. In that prioritization though, we said, look, we're not gonna have all compostable packaging. Like we, there are things that we have to deprioritize in order to focus on the things that are, are most important out of the gate, right? So we're recyclable, not compostable. Would I like to be compostable? Of course I would, but that wasn't the first priority that we intentionally set to deliver on our mission. That'll be a next um, horizon, if you will. Um, so matching, and then, and then the, the third thing I'll say is um, optimization. So one of the things I've realized I've had to double down on building um, is a world-class operating team um, that has a very um, deep um, experience in creating um, uh, cost-engineered <laughs> um, menus and products with the best quality ingredients, but that cost engineering is critical for our success. So trying to build a team and a structure around that. Thank you, Chris. Okay, we have time for one more question. I have one from Roland who asks, he says, thank you so much for your time. And he says, as you look to expand into other underserved communities and continue your growth, how do you and your team prioritize your next opportunities? What are you thinking about? Because um, you're, yeah. again, as a double bottom line company, you're both managing the business, but also managing the social impact as right. well. It's such a good question. Um, and what a good one to end on. We, um, a couple things. So I think the biggest win-win of all has been expansion into serving what I call citywide wellness. Um, so what that means for us is we're now 
um, designing and, and distributing millions of meals into um, cities and counties like Alameda County and the city of New Orleans, city of Boston, where we are, um, we're serving families um, and seniors who are primarily food insecure. We're actually serving large homeless encampments as well. Um, and that's a way to use our core capabilities to um, continue producing and building the business. It also mitigates cyclicality of schools. So we have, you know, better operational flow, um, better hours for our team. It's slightly higher margin. So it's good for our bottom line, but it's still high impact. Um, the other, it's really high impact, to be honest. Um, the other thing we're thinking about is, uh, I mentioned that we had a retailer conversation um, where this particular grocer, large grocer wants to, um, they're looking for a health forward, prepared meal solution for kids and families. Um, and we're like, wow, that's something that we are really good at. Um, again, so looking at like, how can we expand to working in grocery? We already have trucks going um, through all of these cities daily. So we have a, a, a direct store distribution capability that a lot of companies don't have. Um, so thinking about, does it fit our mission? Can we deliver excellence? Um, do we have the operating capabilities to deliver excellence and the product capabilities? And then does it meet our financial hurdles um, to help the company be more successful? Um, so that's how we think about it. And those are two, you know, two big things on our radar. Oh my gosh. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm ready to get out there. I'm going to run a marathon <laughs> and just like achieve. This is just so great, Chris. I'm just totally inspired by you and your team by the way that you live your life, you know, in such an integrated way, you know, really managing and giving and nurturing all these different priorities, staying true to your values, staying true to your mission um, and finding a way to do it all um, in a way that's good for business and good for our communities. And so thank you so much for carving out time for us. We know you don't have any of that and yet, you found a spot for us on your calendar. We're so grateful. Such a pleasure to be with you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something. I'll tell you what, if you enjoy what you heard today, we only need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, go on review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. Um, it helps us continue to share this great content. Uh, and most importantly, we just love to hear what, you, what you'd have to say about uh, some of the content that we're putting out there. So um, please join us again next Tuesday here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn, and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime, Sophia Bodwin. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>